Good morning, family. My name is Matt Klingeltink, and I'm an elder here with Church of the City, and I'm going to lead us in prayer together this morning. Let's pray. God, we love you. The words that we sang this morning are true. We worship you, God, and we magnify your name. God, we're thankful to be here and gather here together. Thank you that we have the freedom to worship your name and to gather on Sundays here, but also throughout the week in our MCs, in our DNAs, in small groups. God, we are thankful that you love us, that you love to hear from us, that you invite us to lift up prayers to you. God, we are thankful for the recent news that a sister of ours is cancer-free. God, this is an answer to many prayers, and we are thankful for this news. God, we also know that there are many in our midst who are struggling with pain, suffering, sickness, and struggles. We lift them up to you. God, you know who they are. May you heal them. May you bring the support that they need. May you bring them peace. We trust that you, God, will provide for their every need. God, we recently heard of the news from Matt and Andrea that they'll be transitioning from Church of the City. God, we thank you that they listen to your spirit and you have placed this calling on their life. God, we trust you, Jesus, as our head shepherd of this church. We trust for the future and know that you have a plan. God, we're thankful for Matt and Andrea and their family. God, you spoke to Matt around a decade ago, um, and you had called him to plant a church. And God, here we are almost a decade later. God, we're thankful for what you have done over this time, and God, we pray for what's next for the Naismiths. Spirit, we, we also ask that you lead us as a church going forward in the weeks, months, and years to come. We all are in maybe a different journey along processing this news. God, come alongside us as we, um, yeah, just go through different emotions. Uh, we just get used to this upcoming transition. God, prepare us for what's ahead. We pray for the elders as we continue to discuss next steps. And God, we're thankful for the time we have together at our family meeting where we can process this together. God, we are hopeful for what you have next for us as a church. God, in this upcoming family meeting, um, yeah, we'll discuss financials. Um, we have a budget for next year to approve. We have some updates from elders and deacons teams and just open discussion about what's ahead for us as a church. God, we ask that you speak to us in the time leading up to that. May you... Um, just bring honest and fruitful conversation during that time. God, we, um, we continue to pray that you provide for us um, with volunteers, with finances, with many things, Lord. We pray for this church going forward. God, we, um, yeah, we, we pray that this can be also be a time of maybe some vision going forward. And Lord, that our 
our budget aligns to that, and Lord, may um, you provide for our budget and our finances going forward. God, we also have an upcoming Christmas offering where we have a chance as Church of the City to give to those outside of our church. Lord, um, there is so much going on in this world right now. There is pain and suffering. God, we pray that this Christmas offering can meet just some of those small needs. God, we pray that you um, give us generous hearts, that we may give generously to um, the ministries that um, you've placed for this Christmas offering. God, we, um, yeah, we pray that it may, <coughs> it may meet the need of those um, around this world, in this country, in this city, um, in, in various different ways. We pray that, um, yeah, that you will speak to us each individually and that we may give generously. God, we're thankful next Sunday that we can have a baptism service. We're thankful for those who have already said, yes, I want to be baptized. God, if anyone's still thinking about it, we pray that you may work in their, their hearts, their minds, and that uh, they may make a decision to follow you, Lord, and get baptized. God, um, for, and even for those who maybe aren't considering it, may you also work in their lives and, um, and yeah, just do a miracle. God, baptism um, is a way for us to, to show that we follow you. God, we love you. We're thankful that we can bring all these things to you. God, we pray on earth as it is in heaven, in Guelph as it is in heaven. Amen. Good morning, uh, Church of the City. My dear friend Will is being gracious enough to grab the podium for me. I've done it before, and it's kind of strange when I disappear behind the curtain as soon as I've gotten up on stage. So thank you, Will. Um, I'm going to read our scripture passage this morning. Uh, so if you have a Bible, uh, I'd invite you to open up and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, uh, peer around in front of you, and there should be one hanging out in uh, a pew somewhere in front of you. And if there's not, uh, our dear friend Vera is at the back ready to bring one to you. So you can slip up your hand and she would uh, happily uh, bring one to your seat. And uh, as we always say, um, if you do not own a Bible, uh, we would welcome you to take that with you. Um, let's look, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Let's start at verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light 
is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth in the dawn of life are vanity. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if I didn't already say this, my name is Spencer. I'm one of the pastors here at Church of the City. And uh, this morning, we are in our second to last message in this series that we've been doing in the book of Ephesians. And if you'll remember from the introduction, if you are around when we started this series, Matt uh, helped us understand this kind of confusing reality in the book of Ecclesiastes, that there's sort of these two figures represented. There's the author uh, who wrote down these words, but they're writing down the words of someone we've been calling the preacher, recording the teachings of this figure, whose identity we're not really sure of. And at the end of chapter 12, at the end of the book, which uh, Cam, one of our elders, will lead us through next week, the writer says, this is the end of the matter. We've covered it all. But these last two chapters, chapters 11 and the beginning of chapter 12, sort of represent, you know, uh, the conclusion, if you will, of the preacher's teachings. And so what are the preacher's final words to us? The preacher has wanted us throughout this, uh, our journey through the book of Ecclesiastes to take a cold, hard look at the world. And I think you'd agree with me that we've done that. It's been uh, trying at times. We've gone through some, some valleys, some canyons, considering all that life can bring us. And so in these last couple of chapters, the preacher sort of turns to, okay, if that's what life is like, how ought we then to live? How ought we then to live? And so we're going to consider uh, the preacher's words to us here in chapter 11. And as Matt prayed for us a moment ago, I know that this morning is tinged with all kinds of emotions for us as a church in light of Matt and Andrea's announcement last week. Um, as Matt uh, said in his prayer, and uh, I assume many, if not most, or all of you know by now, Matt and Andrea announced last week that at the end of the year, he will be stepping away uh, from his role of uh, pastor of teaching and vision for Church of the City. And as uh, God so often graciously does, our passage this morning uh, speaks to our present circumstances as a church. The preacher has words for us this morning uh, that will speak to this, this moment that we're in. So before we jump into all that, let's do what we always do. Uh, let's pause, take some deep breaths, uh, consider, really consider how you're feeling. Uh, know that the Spirit is present with you in that moment, and I'll pray and we'll continue on. God, you promised us that this entire book we call the scriptures is useful for us. 
And I believe that has proven true as we've journeyed through this oftentimes strange book called Ecclesiastes. And I pray that it would also be true this morning that the words that we consider, thousands of years old, that they would speak to this moment that we are in, uh, both individually and as a church. And we pray, Jesus, that you would be glorified in us and through us as we go from here. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, if chapters 11 and 12 sort of represent a shift to a little bit maybe more of a prescriptive way of talking. We've been describing what life is like. Okay, how then do we live in light of this? What's the preacher's suggestion? Look at verse 1 again. I'll read it again for us. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. What on earth is the preacher talking about? Uh, I think you can agree, probably you're having, if this is the first time you're reading this at least, you're having the experience that I did as I sat down to study this of saying, what is happening? So much of this book is inscrutable already, hard to understand, and this feels like almost on, on another level, doesn't it? Uh, so let's, let's break it down. Let's look a couple verses at a time. Verses 1 and 2 to start. Scholars disagree. They, they argue at times over what is the preacher's primary emphasis here. Is the preacher talking about, on the one hand, our livelihoods? Verse 1, then, in this case, would be for, referring to trade. Cast your bread upon the waters, investing our earnings. The, the NIV, in fact, translates uh, that verse this way. Ship your grain across the sea, and after many days you may receive a return, certainly giving a sense of our work, our livelihoods. But then other scholars say, well, it, it seems as though it's, it, there's more an emphasis on our generosity. You know, bread is often this symbol for uh, all that we do to provide for the needy, the hungry, those in poverty. And then in, in that light, uh, verse 2, give a portion to seven or even to eight seems to reaffirm this, right? This idea that the primary emphasis is in our, our generosity, things that we give away. But here's the thing. Biblical wisdom, this genre uh, in the scriptures of which Ecclesiastes is a part, teaches us over and over that the distinction between work that is, you know, for us and work that is for God is a useless distinction. The distinction between work that's for us and then work that's for God is a useless one. God sees it all. He cares about it all. He has things to say to us about all of it. Look, for example, at uh, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10, a couple chapters earlier. The preacher says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And then Paul, many, many years later, picks up on this and, and expands on it in his letter to the church in Colossae. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, Paul says. And so I don't think the preacher is just talking about our work, our careers, our livelihoods, nor is he just talking about the good things that we do for God. He's talking about everything to which we put our hands. 
everything in which we invest our energy. God cares about all of it. And what is he saying about these things? What is he saying about where we invest our time and energy? Well, he's given us a call to action, an invitation to boldness. Cast your bread upon the waters. As the kids might say, shoot your shot. Right, kids? There's no kids left in here to verify. They would if they were here. (laughs) They would. Give a portion to seven or even eight. Be boldly generous. And then verse three and four, when we understand this as a call to action, reaffirm this, right? The preacher says, hey, it's easy to get paralyzed by what ifs. Who knows exactly when the clouds will be full and open up? Who knows exactly where a tree will fall? I don't know if you remember the storm that uh, I believe it was two summers ago uh, that hit us here in Guelph, and it was actually pretty short, but for about 20 or 30 minutes, you know, it was like, maybe the world's ending. Does anybody remember that storm? It was wind and thunder and like teeming rain. Um, Very quick. Somebody in our church was out canoeing when that happened. I can't remember who it was. Um, Maybe come and remind me after, but uh, I was standing for a part of that uh, up in um, our bedroom looking out the back window, and we have this maple that we sort of share with our, our uh, uh, neighbors behind us, and the wind just ripped about a third of that tree right off and slammed it on the neighbor's deck as I was watching. I was like, I think that tree, yeah, the tree is falling over. Um, and, but here's the thing, that tree could have just as easily fallen the other way and crushed our garage could have fallen on our fence between our two yards, or it could have fallen harmlessly on the grass. You just don't know these things, right? It's easy to get paralyzed by what-ifs. Preacher says you won't ever reap a harvest if you get paralyzed by waiting for the perfect conditions. It reminds me of this proverb that I've seen in various places. It's supposedly a Latin proverb, and it says, if there is no wind, row. Have you heard that? If there is no wind, row. It's, it's easy to stay in the same spot, getting stuck trying to figure out where the wind's going to come from. But no, sometimes you got to get out the oars and get to work. This poem is a call to action. Now, again, if you are like me, if you take a step back for a second, think about all that we've learned, all that we've considered in our journey through Ecclesiastes. I said that now this is a, a, a turn to, okay, how do we live? My response to the preacher is, really? Really? Your, your whole thing is now you're going to say, get out there. What about all this vanity? What about, you know, our work being taken from us? Our reputations can be tarnished. Our physical bodies will one day break down. The natural world is unpredictable. The future is uncertain. And your suggestion then to us is, just get out there and go for it. You've got this. It feels like this uh, frustratingly naive optimism, in a sense, doesn't it? And frankly, with all that the preacher has taught us, I sometimes get locked into this way of thinking that there's really only two ways that we can step out of our front door every morning, sort of two coats we can wear, if you will. The one is sort of this blind naivety pretending that everything will work out okay. Think maybe of, you know, Pooh Bear. Uh, It's going to work out. Here's uh, that famous bear himself. He said, I always get to where I'm going by walking away from where I've been. There you go. (laughs) Right? It'll be okay. 
Come on, piglet. We'll get to where we're going by walking away from where we've been. Could feel like that's our one option, and then the other is sort of the way of wise pessimism. Always preparing for the worst, because that's just the way life is. And you know, frankly, I don't know about you, but I can hear Eeyore in my head, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, right? Eeyore could have been the writer of Ecclesiastes. It can feel like those are our only two options. Blind optimism, it's, it's going to work out, it'll be great. Or just, oh, life is hard, who knows what's going to happen. But no, the preacher says, no, those are not our only two options. The preacher contends for us in these last few verses that we can be wise, hopeful, active shapers of the world around us. Let me say that again. I believe that the preacher wants us to believe that we can go out into the world as wise and hopeful and active shapers of the world around us. So how? How do we do that? Three things that the rest of our text will suggest to us. Three keys to being these kinds of people. The first, recognize that for all we know, we really know very little. Recognize that for all we know, we really know very little. Look at verse 5. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Let me ask you a question. When does a developing baby become conscious? I certainly don't know. This is a question that there wasn't a great answer to thousands of years ago when the writer recorded the preacher's thoughts, and as far as my reading, there's not a great answer for it today. And if you're here this morning, or maybe you're watching, and you're sort of in this place of skepticism towards the Christian faith, or perhaps towards religion generally. Maybe you're sort of more of a modernist. You think that science and technology is going to, you know, provide hope for the future. That'll give us the answers. This should give you pause that this question has gone unanswered for thousands of years. And so the preacher's suggestion is that we need to stop pretending like we know everything about the world. And this is important medicine for us in our you know, Western culture today. My, my dad gave me some advice when I was starting out in ministry. Um, I wasn't sure that I ever wanted to go into pastoral ministry, primarily because my dad was a pastor, and I saw, uh, you know, sort of the, the highs and lows of that. But I ended up in ministry, and so I was thinking about seminary, and, and he said, Spencer, I would definitely recommend that you do some seminary education, but he said, you could take some time off and try and, you know, get the degree knocked out quickly, but he said, I would really encourage you to do it slowly. Work in ministry full-time and chip away at the degree. And he said, and when you start, when you get into some courses, you'll understand why I'm giving you this advice. And I'm now uh, almost done my master's 10 years later. Um, I did follow his advice, went very slowly. Um, but he was right. And, and here's, here's what I saw, okay? Um, there are, this is a, a wild uh, sort of oversimplification and generalization, but there are sort of two uh, types of students in seminary. There are those who are fresh out of Bible college, straight into seminary, and there are those, you know, oftentimes far more seasoned than me who've been 
doing uh, pastoring for years and years and are just, you know, either maybe just taking some courses to kind of keep learning or are, you know, um, perhaps working on a seminary degree for the first time. And in, in some of these classes, a question will be asked, sometimes a thorny question. Um, you know, what do you say to parents who've just lost a child? You know, how do we approach this? How do we think about this as followers of Jesus? Who do you think the first people are to raise their hands in that situation? It's, it's, it's those fresh out of Bible college, <laughs> generally. Um, and often they have a, a, a good answer, you know, sort of a, a reasonable answer. But it's those who have been in ministry for decades that are much slower to put an answer forward. Because there's this realization that life is complicated. And that much of what we believe comes down to this mystery. You know, how can it ultimately be that God is all-powerful and all-loving when we see these things happening? For all we know, we really know very little, friends. And this is the first key for us becoming these kinds of people who can be wise, hopeful, active shapers in the world. A second key that the preacher gives us. Keep eternity in your heart but feel death in your bones. You're like, wow, Spencer, you're really trying to channel the, the dark thoughts of the preacher. Uh, keep eternity in your heart, but feel death in your bones. Look at verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. We as followers of Jesus, friends, believe, we know that death has been defeated. Amen? Death has been defeated through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And this utterly changes everything. Death has no final hold on us. And yet, our opportunity to partner with God in putting this world back to rights is a limited one. Our days on this side of eternity are still numbered. And when we hold these two things together, I believe that it should give us an anxiety-free urgency each day. Death has no ultimate hold over us, and yet our time, our days where we can draw breath and be a part of shaping this world to look the way God wants it, that's a limited opportunity that we have. Paul seems to understand this. He speaks to this tension in his letter to the Philippians. He's imprisoned in Rome, and he seems to almost be sort of thinking out loud in this letter. He says, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to, to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul sensed that there was still work for him to do. And he wanted to do it. And we can learn this, friends, before we move on, let's just say, we can learn this the easy way, and I think that's what the preacher hopes, is that by considering their words, some of which are hard about the shortness of life, that we can live this way, right? Uh, in sort of awe at every day, that we are given breath, but sometimes we learn it the, the hard way, uh, either 
coming close to death ourselves, maybe through a serious illness or experiencing the death of someone close to us. The preacher hopes that we need not experience the closeness of death personally, as Paul did. Remember in his letter to the Corinthians, he talks about shipwrecks and beatings and all these times that he's succumbed close to death. The preacher hopes we don't have to experience that in order to appreciate the life we've been given. He hopes that perhaps if we take his words to heart and consider our frailty, we might be pulled into awe at the wonder of this life we've been given and find joy and meaning in every single breath. So, number two, feel eternity in your heart, but feel death in your bones. Number three, the third key to becoming people who can go out into the world wise and hopeful, ready to shape things around us, is that we pursue the right and the good. Look at verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. The preacher wants us to pursue full, rich lives. If you've been with us through this series, I think you've gotten that sense. The preacher wants us to pursue full, rich lives, but with a right understanding of where that is ultimately found. You see, the world, at least our culture, often sends us this message, and sometimes this comes from inside of us, and we can't, you know, blame the world around us, but there's this message that we hear over and over, that what is good, what feels good, what looks good, what seems good, must be right. What is good must be right. On the other hand, as Matt helped us consider last week, there's this other way of looking at the world, sort of the religious lens And this sort of does the opposite. It very clearly defines what is right. A, B, C, D. Do these things and you will be right and as a result, you'll be good. God will owe you. You'll be spared from trouble. You'll have an easy life. And even if you're not, you'll know that you've done the right things, that you're righteous, and hopefully that'll keep you warm at night. (laughs) Right? Do what's right and you will be good. But the gospel says, no, no. Through Jesus, we are made right. Through what Jesus has done, we are made right. And in that miracle, we are given new hearts and eyes, to use the language of the preacher. We're given new hearts and eyes to see how our passions, how our pursuits might partner with God's purposes for the world, to make it into the kind of place he intended. And let me say, friends, this is a broad, rich partnership that God wants to have with us. I'm not just talking about, you know, full-time ministry here. Uh, You know, if you see this, really, you'll go into ministry, uh, because that's really the only way to truly partner with God. No, it could mean that, but it also means teaching little ones in a classroom, Building things, creating things, the arts, being a parent, being a farmer. I think this image illustrates this beautifully. This is uh, from an artist named Ben Shan. 
And you know what it's called? It's called Wheatfield-Ecclesiastes, which I love. I don't know how well you can see it, but it's just a picture of some wheat with these colors bursting out. God wants to have this kind of partnership with us. And let me say, if, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus and you've felt like always at odds with yourself, that it's either this choice between what seems good and what seems right, until God gives you a new heart, you, you'll be stuck in that place. And this doesn't happen overnight. You know, we who are followers of Jesus still have these realities in front of us, but we're being changed day by day. And so invite Jesus to begin that in you, and he gladly will. He'll invite you into this kind of partnership. So friends, we can be wise and hopeful and go out and actively shape the world around us. We do it by recognizing that for all we know, we really know very little. We keep eternity in our hearts, but we feel death in our bones. That life on this side of eternity won't last forever. And lastly, we pursue the right and the good. Before I'm done, I want to speak. I said the preacher had things to say to us as a church uh, in this moment that we're in. Um, It would be very easy to think in light of an announcement like we heard last week that the two sort of options I mentioned earlier were the only two ways that, you know, we could think about a transition like this. Either it's blind optimism. It'll be okay. Nothing's going to change. This, this is fine. I'm thinking of that meme, you know, where I think it's the dog and the sort of burning thing. It's fine. Um, this sort of blind optimism. Nothing's going to change, right? Uh, it's, you know, I love this church. It, it's, it's always going to stay the same. But then there's also the other way, particularly if you've gone through difficult transitions uh, in a church, in your past, in your life, it's easy to go into it with sort of this kind of wise pessimism. You know, I'd like to be optimistic, but I've seen this before. You know, these transitions are difficult. You know, everything's going to change. Church of the City will never be the same. Friends, I believe if the preacher were here, he would want us to find a different way. He would suggest that there is a way for us to move forward in these days of uncertainty with hope for the future of this church, a hope that is still wise, that's honest, and that's ready to face what comes as a community of believers together. But here's the thing. The preacher is not here. The preacher's not here, but there is one who is, and not in some lovely, fancy way, in a real and tangible way. He is our shepherd. He is our leader. His name is Jesus. We are his sheep, and we know his voice. And he has promised that he will never leave us or forsake us. And if we hold on to those things, friends, as a church, then that makes me as hopeful as I've ever been about the future. He will never leave us or forsake us. Let us pray. Jesus, I pray that you would make us, uh, well, into the kind of people um, that you are, that we saw in the Gospels who went through life 
full of wisdom, very honest about the world around you, and yet full of joy, ready to partner in the work that your father was doing, ready to bring life where there was death, uh, to bring peace where there was suffering. Make us into these kinds of people, Jesus. Um, May we be wise and hopeful and leave from this place ready to shape the world around us. And would we trust that you love your church, that you are with us, Always.